Hello, beauties. Welcome back to the Conscious Beauty Podcast. As you know, this is where we talk about how to better age with health and beauty. I am your host, Mary Vallarta. Thank you so much for joining me again. It is a beautiful day today, and I have the pleasure of bringing you a conversation that I had with Dr. Marcy Catalo Madruga. She is a personal trainer. She is a functional medicine practitioner. She has a doctorate in physical therapy. So we had a very interesting conversation because she has a unique perspective. She obviously understands the workings of the physicality of the body, right? That's why she's a physical therapist. But then she wanted to take it a step further by understanding how nutrition, how our lifestyle, how our sleep, how our stress, you know, how our hormones actually affect any type of pain, any type of, um, I guess, disability or or imbalance that we might physically be experiencing, right? So she's bringing with her a more holistic perspective on looking at what ails us in terms of our physical body. So I speak with her on that and we talk about the connections of the liver, the adrenal gland, and the gut. As you know, I talk a lot about gut health. I am very big on making sure and really helping you guys understand how to use your digestive system in the most optimal way because everything starts with the gut. Everything starts with how we digest food. And if we're not digesting food properly, then that's going to really start a whole slew of side effects or imbalances that we'll end up experiencing, whether that's the inability to go to sleep, whether that's not having enough energy, whether that's experiencing infertility, experiencing sexual dysfunction, having problems with weight loss, all of this really stems from the gut. So we talk about the relationship between the gut, the adrenals, and the liver and and how it's very important to really make sure that those three are working optimally to avoid a lot of the very common, I don't want to say normal because it's not normal, but to avoid all the very common symptoms that so many of us face today, like insomnia, insomnia, adrenal fatigue, um, not having the ability to lose weight, um, not having enough energy throughout the day. So we talk about all of that and Rather than me just recapping everything right now, why don't we all just go to the talk that I've had with Dr. Marcy and you can listen for yourself. Hey, it's Mary. Part of Aging Beautifully is having rituals that care for your whole health from the inside out. That's why I created Conscious Beauty Rituals, which is my personal line of natural and organic oils, herbal teas, gua sha's, and other self-care tools that I personally use to maintain my health and beauty from the inside out. Everything on Conscious Beauty Rituals has been formulated or selected by me to ensure the highest quality standards when it comes to clean, effective, natural, and non-toxic products. Visit ConsciousBeautyRituals.com to start your own Conscious Beauty practice. Listeners get an exclusive 10% off their first purchase by using the code CONSCIOUS. Again, that's ConsciousBeautyRituals.com and use code CONSCIOUS to get 10% off your first purchase. Now let's get back to our conversation. 
Well, hello, Dr. Marcy. It is so great to welcome you today. And for those of you who are just joining us, welcome. I am here speaking with Dr. Marcy Catalo Madruga, and I am quite fascinated with her work in helping people lose weight, address sexual dysfunction by focusing on bringing balance back to the adrenal gland, liver, and gut. So this is what I really want to focus on today with Dr. Marcy. So Dr. Marcy, again, thank you for being here. Super excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to get to have a forum to share this information. Oh, my pleasure. So before we get into what I just mentioned to everyone, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because you have so many letters after your name. So just give us a brief intro about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I am a licensed physical therapist in the state of Colorado, and I got my physical therapy degree back in 2005, but by really about 2009, I had decided that there was more happening and my clients were having injuries that had more underlying stuff to them, and we were trying to figure it out, and then um through some of my own health challenges and having some medical providers who just didn't hear me as a patient, let alone being another provider. Um, I found some solutions to some of my own health issues and got into the functional medicine space. And I started with just a general health coaching certification and then moved into a functional medicine certification. Um, and then some of those other letters are more reference to physical therapy. Um, so there's one for, I'm a certified vestibular and concussion rehab specialist, and, um, I'm a certified personal trainer. Um, and then I have my doctorate in physical therapy. So those letters are there. So it's, there's a lot there. I think there's not quite as many letters as there are in my last name, but it's a lot of letters. (laughs) It's really cool because when I look at those letters and just listening to you right now, it sounds like you have a very well-rounded understanding of the body physically, but also what's going on inside internally. Would you agree? Yeah, I think you can't, I mean, the problem that I see in modern Western medicine, especially from an injury perspective, is that we tend to only look at that one body part Mm-hmm. the whole body is one ecosystem. So if something's going wrong somewhere for no reason, and there's a quote unquote injury that happens, but there's no reason for the injury, like you shouldn't just wake up with a stiff neck. That's right. not normal. There's a reason that happened. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter what age you are, that's not normal. And so I think we've normalized a lot of things that we really shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And being able to take the whole person into perspective is super important if we're really looking at helping people get better mm-hmm. and kind of become their own physician. Um, because I don't know if you've noticed this or not too, but in Western medicine today, um, our physicians spend less than six minutes with a patient and you can't yeah. solve health in less than six minutes. Right. I totally agree. And I have seen that from personal experience as well. It, it always seems very rushed, the process of, of seeing the doctor and it, it's also not their fault. They have so many patients that they need to see which is why it's so important, in my opinion, to have more than just one person in your, you know, health corner, right? Like have your 
primary care doctor, but then also have, you know, um, a functional medical practitioner or doctor, or maybe a nutritionist, someone who can help you with all aspects of your life, I think could be very beneficial for a lot of us. Well, and it's interesting that you bring that up because even in the, like the pain science research, they're showing that like, really you need a team. So mm-hmm. you need, um, you know, from the pain's perspective, you need the pain management doctor, you need the physical therapist, you need the acupuncturist, you need the massage therapist, you need the psychiatrist, and then you need the general physician who should be coordinating all of it and know every piece of it. Right. Oh my God. Yes. I was actually thinking about this idea. Like, why don't I open up like a health clinic with all these different doctors who make up a team, you know, a team of health of, of basically your health team that can talk to each other. Because also another problem that I see in our healthcare system is that we might have all of these professionals helping us, but they're all separate they're not really talking to each other as a team, like our bodies talk to each other, our minds talk to each other, right? Our souls talk to each other. Um, So I think it would also be kind of logical for a medical system to function this way too. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of research that shows that that team approach is more effective. Um, And even when you look at um, one of the largest functional medicine clinics in the country is actually at the Cleveland Clinic oh. and their facility. It's 6,000 square feet. They employ um, 28 medical practice personnel, wow. um, everything from surgeons down to medical assistants, um, mm-hmm. but they function in teams to then make sure that the client is getting all of the services that they need, mm-hmm. but that they also aren't ending up just kind of in a hamster wheel, they're actually working towards healing what is happening. Mm, Yeah. The root cause of it, which is, which is what you focus on as well with your work. So let's get into that because I'm quite fascinated with what you're doing, specifically the connection between the adrenal gland, the liver and the gut. So can you tell us what that connection is and, and how they function together to affect our health. Yeah. So I don't know how much you know about gut health, but if we're talking about it from a general layman's perspective, obviously the job of the gut is to take in nutrients, absorb the nutrients Mm -hmm. and then defecate what we don't need. Right. So the, the GI system, the gut actually starts at the nose because your sense of smell is what triggers the first reaction for the salivary glands to start producing digestion digestive enzymes. Mm-hmm. So everyone thinks it starts at the mouth, but really it starts, it starts at the nose. Um, and when the gut is functioning perfectly, you can absorb all the nutrients that you need and you can get rid of toxic waste as fast as you need to. Right. But when it's not functioning optimally, you end up with vitamin and mineral deficiencies, but also protein deficiencies, essential fatty acid deficiencies. Um, You end up with imbalances in actually neurotransmitters for mood, which controls how the brain functions. Mm -hmm. And then that affects the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is what controls your fight or flight system. Mm -hmm. And your adrenal glands are actually part of that fight or flight system. 
and the adrenal glands get triggered by the vagus nerve. Well, if the vagus nerve is constantly being sent the signal of, I don't have enough serotonin, which is what gets converted into melatonin so that you can sleep. Right. And serotonin is also your, I feel happy today, neurotransmitter. Then your adrenal glands get triggered to produce epinephrine so that you get an upper. Well, that also produces cortisol. And if you're producing cortisol, your cortisol and your melatonin have an exact inverse relationship. Yes. So then you won't sleep. Okay. Because if your vagus nerve tells your adrenal glands, I need more cortisol and more epinephrine because I need an upper. Yep. Then you're constantly producing something that causes your melatonin production to shut down. Mm. And so you can't ever produce it. Um, and then we end up with people who are sleep derived and they end up using a lot of sugary, salty, caffeinated things to continue to get those uppers. Mm-hmm. and it starts stressing out the adrenal system more. Well, the other thing that people don't understand about the adrenals is that the adrenals also produce a substance called DHEA, which is a hormone precursor to both testosterone and estrogen, mm. but also 60% of your dopamine, which is your satisfaction neurotransmitter, So serotonins are happy. I'm in a good mood. And then I can also sleep neurotransmitter. Dopamine is your coordination and um, satisfaction neurotransmitter. You can't produce dopamine if your adrenal glands are not functioning correctly. So when the adrenal glands are super stressed out, then we don't produce dopamine, which means that our coordinated movement patterns also decrease, which means that you end up with like things like stumbling. You'll see people who look like they're drunk, but they're not drunk. You'll see um, Alzheimer's developing earlier. You can see Parkinson's, dementia, those kinds of things happening. But then also when we go back to the DHEA production in the adrenal glands, DHEA then gets shuttled to the liver. And if it's not getting put there, you end up with low testosterone and estrogen dominance. Wow. It's just a whole cycle. It's starting from the gut. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that happens then, so, okay, say your adrenal glands are working perfectly and you have enough DHEA. Um, If you can't sulfate it, which is because you aren't taking in enough sulfates or because you're lacking that nutrient or because your gut can't absorb it, you still can't produce testosterone because DHE sulfate goes down a testosterone pathway where DHEA that's not sulfated goes down an estrogen pathway. But also if the liver is toxic, it will unsulfate the DHEA that is sulfated in order to cleanse the liver pathways. And so you end up with estrogen dominance again. Got it. So when you say that the, the liver um, converts, you said converts the sulfate? Okay. It converts DHEA sulfate into testosterone. Gotcha. So then how do we make sure that our liver has, I guess, the energy, the capacity to be able to convert that properly? 
Yeah. So that's the big burning question, right? Yeah. So I will tell you that about 2% of the population, and these people are typically Eastern European Jewish descent, um, their genetics for this are very poor already. And they are the ones that unfortunately will probably end up on some kind of cholesterol medication because their liver, their genetics for these processes are just not that great. Now you can support those pathways for those people, but because the genetics are just really terrible in that area, those people are probably going to end up on a cholesterol medication of some kind, but it's also about testing the genetics because you can test the genetics to see what kind of medication they would respond to best. But if you're the other 98% of the population who has genetics that work great for the liver, there are some things that you can do. Um, if I'm asking someone to clean up the liver, clean up the adrenal glands, I will have them do a very specific diet um, that is from the Institute of Functional Medicine for adrenal support because it also does help detox the liver. It's very heavy in what we call the brassica vegetables, which are things like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, mm -hmm. asparagus. And um, they're all those ones that like, you know, if you um, eat them and then you go pee, your pee smells funny. Yes. They're all of those vegetables. I see. They're, in Ayurveda, we call those extractive foods because they basically help extract, you know, things from, from what you eat. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we're having people eat um, a diet that's very high in those high in very multicolored vegetables as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll ask them to do this for no less than 90 days for some people, depending on how toxic the liver and the adrenal glands are, we might ask them to do it for up to 120. Um, and we ask them to get rid of a lot of things in their life that may be causing this. So mm. we'll start with the nutrition plan. And then after about two weeks, I say, okay, we need to come off alcohol. We need to stop smoking and being around people who are smoking, including cigars, quit yeah. chewing tobacco, um, you know, all the, all the things that people don't want to do, but actually right. if they want to be healthier, they need to do. And then, um, obviously alcohol intake needs to come way down. We ask them not to take any um, insects like Tylenol, Advil, Aleve, aspirin, even yes. in that 90 days. Um, and there are other pain relievers that we can give them that are more natural, like Copaiba, or um, there's a product from doTERRA called Deep Blue that I love for like using on muscles and joints. Oh, I um, love essential oils too. End up sore. Yeah, I, essential oils are like one of my go-tos. Um, and the nice thing is they don't tax the liver and some of them actually no. detox the liver. Exactly. I think a lot of people don't know just how dangerous things like Tylenol is really oh when it comes to your body. It's yeah. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just actually reading a study and it said that there are approximately 14,000 deaths a year due to Tylenol overdose. That's 14,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. We're not talking about that in our medical system. Yeah. And that's just Tylenol. That's yeah. not even, you know, what, what's the generic term for it? And then you have ibuprofen. Acetaminophen. Yeah. yeah. And then ibuprofen for um, Advil. Um, mm -hmm. And then Motrin is a combination of Advil and acetaminophen. So it's both. And then Aleve, the, that one makes me laugh because 
we're giving people sodium naproxen and saying, yeah, it's safe to take and you only have to take two of them a day, but it raises blood pressure and affects the adrenal glands. Yeah. And on top of all that, really, it's not solving your problem because no. it's, it's just putting a bandaid on what the pain is. And I think for, we've been trained to think that pain is bad. Let's, let's, you know, let's put a patch on it or swallow a pill when in reality, it's trying to tell us something like, let's follow where the pain is going. We can still treat the pain, but let's not ignore the pain. Let's see where the pain is coming from because pain doesn't come from nowhere. Right. right. It's like heartbreak. You know, your heartbreak doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from somewhere. And I, and I think that the more we can see that and welcome pain and try to understand it, the less we'll have to um, depend on these types of pain relievers. Yeah. So dangerous. They really are. And then the, the negative effects that they have on the gut as well. I mean, yeah. they start at the stomach. So, you know, we, the upper part of your gut is from the stomach to the nose, right? Right. So we're starting to take things like Aleve, Tylenol, Advil, ibuprofen, Motrin, aspirin, whatever that happens to be. And we're affecting the pH in the mouth. Yeah. We're affecting the pH in the, in the stomach. And so then any food you take with it isn't digested properly. And then it gets to the gut, to the small intestine and you've got undigested food parts. Yes. That, wow. It really starts... I was also under the impression that digestion starts with the mouth. I I didn't realize that it starts, you know, with the nose. But now that I think about it, there are times when all I have to do is visualize food in my head and I start salivating or I I look at it on TV and I start salivating. So I'm wondering, does it even start prior to the nose, you know, like the smell sensation there are some people who would say it would it would um and I would agree with you on the like being able to see something and go oh yeah that I want that and want it now yeah um but the most common that triggers a response out of everyone is the olfactory nerve Mm. the olfactory nerve smells something that is edible and it starts the release of saliva and enzymes to start breaking food down Right. It's way more powerful, I guess, in terms of a sensory response. So, okay. You shared how the adrenal gland, the liver and the gut work together. What, and you mentioned, you know, testosterone, estrogen, what are some common symptoms that arise from these imbalances? So we can kind of visualize it, what, what it all means. Cause right now it just, you know, it, it, it sounds logical, but how does that really transpire in real life? Yeah. So, um, the first thing I'll hear from somebody who's having trouble with like the adrenal glands Mm -hmm. is I'm tired every day between two and 3 PM or whatever, like that two to three o'clock hour is for them. Or in the afternoon, I always reach for something salty, something really sweet or something caffeinated. And I can't get past that. I have to have it, or I'm going to fall asleep at my desk or fall asleep driving my car or something like that. So when the adrenal glands are super taxed, we start to see that if you're 
if you're a good provider and you're paying attention before that, the person will start talking about not sleeping well Mm. because the serotonin issue um, becomes a bigger issue faster than the adrenal issue. So an 80% of the serotonin is produced in the gut. And so they're not absorbing the nutrients that they need to be able to produce serotonin. So then they can't produce melatonin. Got it. And so melatonin is needed to go to sleep. And so what you'll hear is, well, I I'm tired, but I lay down and I can't fall asleep. It takes me an hour or more to fall asleep. So most people won't associate that with a problem with the adrenal glands or the liver, but that's where it actually starts is I lay down and I can't fall asleep. It takes me an hour at least to fall asleep. Hmm. Um, and then with the liver, what we typically hear when there's a problem with the liver, the first symptom that they'll really, if you're asking them questions, talk about is that they wake up every day between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. And they don't know why they wake up. They just wake up. And mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not typically because they have to go to the bathroom. It's not typically because they have a headache. It's not typically because they have an ache or a pain. They just wake up. Sometimes they will say, I woke up and I was drenched in sweat. Wow. Because the liver is detoxing during those hours. Yep. And the body wants to get rid of those toxins as fast as possible. The fastest way for it to do it, if you're not going to urinate or defecate is to sweat. Sweat. Right. And that's why like saunas and steam rooms are so great, right? Because we're sweating out toxins. Yes. So we'll see that. Um, And then down the road a little ways, what we'll see is the the low testosterone. So we'll start hearing people say, um, you know, I just kind of lost the desire to go exercise or like I wasn't recovering from my workouts. It was taking me two or three days or I would do a leg day on Monday and I could still feel that my legs were sore on Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll hear those kinds of comments. And then it progresses to, I've lost interest in sex, Mm. not my partner. I still find my partner attractive, but I could go without sex for a few weeks and that's okay. Mm -hmm. When does Um, this all start to happen usually at what age? So interesting that you asked that because the research 10 years ago said that the average age was around 45. The research mm. from last summer says it's happening as young as age 21. Wow. Yeah. That's very alarming. It's super alarming. And I think part of it is, and I mean, obviously we're recording a podcast and people are listening to this and it's a way that they engage socially, right? But yeah, the expanse of social media has really changed the way that our body uses dopamine right and a 24-hour news cycle and then the access to so many types of stimulation because what happens in the brain is that as long as it's getting a positive stimulus and a um, satisfaction stimulus it will stop producing dopamine This is why I tell people to not look at their phones or even watch TV before they go to sleep because that's a stimulant. Yep. It's a huge stimulant. And a lot of people will say 30 minutes is enough. It's not enough for somebody who has insomnia and has trouble sleeping, somebody that has adrenal fatigue 
um, somebody has low dopamine, um, they really need three hours. Yeah. And that it's not just sense. like the phone. It's like, also you shouldn't be in a room where there's above a 25 watt light bulb on. Right. You shouldn't be in any kind of um, blue light. You should wear blue light, light filtering glasses after 3 PM, like yep. all of those things. Red so, light is also really good to have, yep. right? Like red colored light. Also, and, I recommend to not get into, I don't know, like conflict ridden conversations, right? Yeah. Like he, any heated conversations, like don't get into that in the yeah. evening. <laughs> Cause it just stimulates the cortisol, which then doesn't allow melatonin to be produced. Right. Which I, I don't think people have a real understanding of why that's important, but it's the same reason why, you know, I, and I, people are going to hate me for saying this, but you shouldn't have heavy conversations with your children at the dinner table. Mm. I mean, we all talk about like dinner is our social meal and it's where we have our most important conversations. Well, it shouldn't be dinner. It should be breakfast. Wow. Because yeah. when you have those conversations at dinner, you're setting that child up to develop sleep habits that are poor because their cortisol elevates. They don't know how to bring it back down like we do. And they typically go to bed before we do, right? Yes. So yes. we've got an extra hour after they go to bed to calm down. They don't have that. And so we're really setting them up for sleep disorders at a very young age. Yeah. Well, that's a really good point as a mother. I didn't even think of that, honestly, but you're right because dinner time, you want them to start after dinner, I should say, is you want them to start really getting ready for bed, right? Like you want them to be relaxed. You want them to, you know, get, get into bed quite early so they can get that full 10 hours for the day. And, and you, as a parent, when you introduce something that could be stressful for them is going to backfire at the end of the day. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, okay. It's the same reason why we should have them go to school later and do homework in the morning rather than at night. That's a good point. But see the stressed out right before they go to bed. Yeah. I think we need to rewrite the whole educational system. <laughs> or at least homeschooling. Yes. Which I, I cannot do right now, but it's good yeah. to know these things as a parent because you can still control what happens in your household. Um, and going back to the whole age issue, right? Like how young people are starting to get this at age 21, 25, we mentioned how that's quite alarming. Um, what did that put them then at more of a disadvantage as they get to ages 30, 40, 50, because then that means that their cells are now degrading at a faster rate. So they're going to age at a faster rate. Yes. And it's not just about their cells. It's about overall life satisfaction. So what we see with low testosterone and adrenal fatigue is erectile dysfunction. Mm. Um, and so where we used to see erectile dysfunction start popping up in the mid forties, and being something that people really needed to kind of deal with by age 60, we're now seeing erectile dysfunction at age 25 consistently um, wow. with like 28% of 25 year olds reporting incidents of erectile dysfunction that is consistent. Um, and I think one of the problems that a lot of people don't realize is that Slidenafil, the drug for Cialis or um, Viagra or any of those other drugs to help an erection, 
and they stop working after three years. Mm. And, and that's research-based. Like that's not just me saying that for right. 80, it's like 82% of people, the drug stops working after three years for 30% of people, the drug never works in the first place. Wow. So we've got these men walking around feeling very emasculated at age 25 who want to start a family, but can't engage sexually. I mean, what are the repercussions of that in society? It's pretty significant. Yes. And it's, um, it's interesting because somebody brought it up to me in a different way of saying, you know, we see all these things happening with people lashing out right. and especially since the pandemic and being locked down and locked away, um, there's a lot more individual violent behavior happening, but then mm. also what's happening currently in the world. And they said that that's the energy shift of what happens when somebody can't exert their male energy in a more healthy, constructive way. Mm. And it was like, oh, wow. You know, cause you look at that and go, that's, that's significant. Like if we have people who feel completely emasculated, how yeah. do they burn that male energy or express that male part of themselves? Right. How do they? And right now also, I'm, I'm starting to see some type of, um, I don't know if, if it's a male backlash, but for me, it seems like some men may feel like it's hard for them to express, you know, the, the struggles or challenges that they're going through because, mm -hmm. because number one, they're a man like, you, you know, that's just the stereotype of like men, you're supposed to not have emotions. You're just supposed to like man, man through it. And then there's also now this whole thing about, well, oh, you're a man, you don't have any problems type of thing. Um, so I think that's also working against them in a way when yeah. you think about it, because now they don't feel like they are entitled to have any issues or problems. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I, I understand the reason for the Me Too movement, but I also feel like it has made every man feel like he's not allowed to ever say that he feels uncomfortable. Exactly. And that's not okay. Because if, not you, okay. if you don't feel comfortable in a situation, regardless of whether you are male, female, adult, child, yes, you should be able to express that feeling of, I am not comfortable with this. I am not okay with this. I agree. And, and they've like pretty much lost their voice. I agree. And I think the pendulum has swung too far, right? Okay. I don't think anyone's voices should be stifled. I don't think it was right that women didn't feel safe to speak up. And I also don't feel that it's right to do that to men as well. I think that we should both have the right to tell each other what we need to feel safe in our own skin. Um, this is a really good other conversation to have, honestly. Um, but going back to these symptoms, what are some of the things that we can do? Like if we are experiencing, you know, these gut-related issues, adrenal-related issues, and these liver-related issues, what are some things, quick things that we can do at home to start addressing those problems? You mentioned 
not being on social media, not being on the phone when it comes to, you know, getting enough sleep. Are there anything like supplements or habits, things like that, that people can, can readily do pretty quickly? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I recommend to all my clients is get in at least a hundred ounces of water a day. And if you can get in a liter of water before you eat or drink anything else, um, that is super important for your body because it helps the whole digestive process. And then one of the other things I recommend is that people do um, a 14 hour fast at least four days a week because it actually gives the gut time to relax. But also, and this one's really important and a lot of people miss this, the hormones for um, digestion of food work on a 12 hour schedule. So you need to eat in a 12 hour window. So if you take your first bite or your first calorie at 7 a.m., you need to stop eating by 7 p.m. Otherwise, you never give those hormones a chance to have a break, and so that system becomes exhausted, and that's when we start to see more things go wrong in the liver, more things go wrong in the adrenal glands. Um, and then if you can, early in the day, and this is also very research-based, get outside for men with your shirt off for 30 minutes in early morning of sunlight for women. If you can be in like a sports bra or bikini top um, with no sunglasses on, no sunscreen on before 10 AM, there's actually a lot of research behind doing that. It helps lower blood pressure, helps balance out hormones. It actually increases testosterone production to have your chest exposed to the sun. Um, wow. Specifically your chest. 20%. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, 120%. Um, if you live in a community where you can be nude, there's actually research that shows that exposing the genitals to sunlight early in the day increases testosterone production by 200%. Wow. So there's that. Interesting. I love that. I, I think that's so important to not be so obsessed with sunscreen. Our society today is like all about sunscreen. And I'm telling people you can't you can't reap the benefits of the sun if you always have sunscreen on. Well, and really, I mean, this is another thing that I recommend to people when we're talking about cleaning up the liver, right? The liver has to process every chemical you come into contact with. So when we're talking about sunscreen, your skin is the largest absorber of chemicals that you have. So if you're putting a chemical-based sunscreen on your skin, your liver has to process that. Mm-hmm which means that it's not processing for testosterone production. Interesting. So, but the same thing is true of any household products that you use. So you want to use clean cleaning products, clean face products, clean yep. soaps and detergents. Those kinds of things all need to be yeah. chemical free, dye free, all of those things. Because otherwise your liver has to um, support that. Um, some general supplements that people can take that help. One of the ones that I recommend the most is actually a nitric oxide supplement. Hmm. Um, and then I recommend um, for men, you have to cycle this, but women can take it fairly consistently. Taking DIM, it's an aromatase inhibitor. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, NRF2 support. So um, they're different. They one supports phase one detoxification in the liver, that's dim. One supports phase two. And so I recommend that to people. And then um there's a supplement called 
I'm going to blank on the name of it. I know the like brand. I'm going to just look at it because otherwise I'm going to yeah, take a look. Calcium deglucurate. Um, okay. And that I've one actually that. helps. Um, and there are some other ones like um, most companies will have what they call a liver detox pack. If you're ordering from like a reputable company, mm-hmm. the one that I recommend is the um, detoxification support packs from Designs for Health. And um, they use only products grown in the United States that are organic. And I really like their products. But if you're wanting to do it, even just like with essential oils, there's a product called Zendocrine, and you can take that oil internally, you can diffuse it and you can rub it directly over the liver. Mm -hmm. And they also have a capsule um, that you can take that one. And then another thing that people could know for just general detox, grapefruit and essential oil um, is hugely detoxifying for both the thyroid and the liver. Mm -hmm. And if you're having problems with your adrenal glands in your gut, you're gonna have problems with the thyroid, it's just a given. So if we balance out the adrenal glands, we can also balance out a lot of thyroid issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lemon is great for detoxifying the kidneys. So if you're having trouble eliminating, that might be a great way to help with the kidneys and eliminating through urination. Um, and then really, honestly, the biggest thing is if you're not pooping as many times as you eat during the day, you need to find a way to do that. And there are supplements that will help with that. Mm-hmm. Base one that you can get that's super easy is the smooth move tea that you can pick up at any natural grocer food store. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way I explain it to people, and this is going to sound funny, but if you had a bag of trash sitting in your kitchen that smelled, right, you wouldn't leave it there for a week, right? Right. You would take it out. So everything that you put in has waste to it. How long do you want that waste sitting in your system if you know that the, di- the process of digestion from start to finish should take somewhere between 14 to 16 hours? Mm-hmm. So if you eat a meal at 6 a.m., the next day at 8 a.m., you should poop. Right. And you kind of follow that schedule. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very surprising that a lot of people actually don't poop on a daily basis. It's, it's a funny scary. topic to talk about, but it's true. <laughs> it's scary. And, and, and that people think that's normal. Right? Yes. Like you're putting stuff in, it has waste. And to me, the funniest one is moms who don't poop for multiple days at a time. And I want to be like, how many diapers did you change? Right. Because your baby's GI tract worked perfectly. How many times did you change a diaper? That's a good point. That's a very good point because like, you're right. It doesn't matter how healthy you eat. Your body will create waste out of the food that you eat. That's just how it works. So it's very important to have a regular elimination. And as you mentioned before, it's also very important in terms of how often you eat because you don't want to keep you know, putting, throwing a wrench into your digestive system before it's even done processing or digesting your prior meal, which yeah. is why snacking, I, I don't really recommend snacking mm-hmm. to the average person. I guess I there's, there's exceptions, right? Like athletes or whatever, we, there might be some exceptions, but it's really important to not be in the habit of snacking and, and instead 
try to be in the habit of meals, like substantial meals that will take you through until the next meal happens at that day. But I think that's part of the problem too, is that people are snacking because they're not taking in the nutrients that they need to at each meal. Right. And they can't absorb the nutrients from that meal because their gut's not working the right way. Exactly. So we're a very, we are the um, most overfed, undernourished population in the world. We are. We eat a lot of processed foods, right? Yeah. And even, even real foods, they're grown using a lot of pesticides. They're grown in soil that has a very weak microbiome, um, not microbiome, but soil microbiome, I should say. Yeah. A lot of our soil doesn't have the type of bacteria that it used to have because of all the pesticides that we've used, which is why, yes, I know it's, it's always better, not better, but it's always good to eat real whole foods and not rely solely on supplements. But I think this is where supplements are very helpful because we just don't have the same soil quality that we used to in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for your time. Dr. Marcy, is there anything that you want to say that we didn't cover today before we jump off? Um, the biggest thing I will say is that most people probably have intermittent fasting wrong. Um, and that's all the studies on intermittent fasting, where they have looked at whether a person should fast in the morning or fast in the evening to show that people who fast in the evening have better cardiovascular health, better gut health, better sleep, and they live longer. So mm. like we just talked about with our kids, even not having those heavy conversations at the dinner table and that breakfast should be our conversation meal. It really is proven out in the research. So that's a good thing. changing your fasting. Yes, because this podcast, as I mentioned to all of you, is all about helping us not just live longer, but having a better quality of life where we feel great every day, you know, where we look in the mirror and we love what we see. That doesn't mean that we don't have any wrinkles or we don't have any gray hairs. It just means that we feel beautiful. And that all comes from how we take care of ourselves from the inside and also the outside. So that is all for today. Again, Dr. Marcy, thank you so much. I'll make sure to put the supplements and any of other information that you shared with us in the show notes when it comes to any of the resources that people can look to, to better take care of their adrenal, their liver, and of course their gut health. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Quite interesting stuff, right? I definitely need to have Dr. Marcy back because I can talk to her forever. She's just a wealth of information. And I just really loved how throughout the whole talk, I was able to see and listen to how modern medicine reflects the ancient teachings of Ayurveda when she talks about fasting right not eating after 7 p.m that is all ancient teachings that ayurveda has taught us for thousands of years which is not eating after sundown right not snacking throughout the day and instead having substantial meals 
making sure that we are having a daily routine to support that. Not being bombarded with stressors before bed so that we can sleep soundly and peacefully and have our bodies regenerate and rejuvenate itself. You know, the liver working at night, detoxifying. In Ayurveda, it teaches us that our liver works from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. detoxing our bodies. So if we're awake during that time, we're not really getting those benefits. So our bodies are going to be stuck with the toxins that the liver now can't detox because we're awake. So it's just quite fascinating and also vindicating to know that all of these teachings that were looked at before as quackery are actually very much indeed biological truth. Because it's nature, right? We're a part of nature. Um, if you want to get a hold of Dr. Marcy, if you want to work with her, if you want to DM her, please go do it. She is on Instagram. Her handle is Dr. Dr. Marcy, M-A-R-C-I dot C-M. You can follow her on Instagram. She has a ton of content there that you can consume. She also has a free gut consultation that you can take advantage of. Just click the link on her link tree um, and you can find that when you're on her Instagram. Just go on her link tree and then I'll also paste the link on the show notes here as well so you guys can have easy access to it. Okay? Well, that is all you guys. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Remember to like and share this podcast episode if you enjoyed it. And also remember to rate and review the podcast itself so that more people can find out about the Conscious Beauty Podcast. Thank you so much again for listening and I'll see you back here next time.